Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Archives and Futures, and this is our third episode. I am your host, Ivan Lozano. And today we have an interview with Stevie Cisneros Hanley. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Patreon at Archives and Futures, all spelled out. Also, we are now available on Spotify. Just search for Archives plus Futures. Rate us. Share. We should also be on iTunes by the time that you listen to this. Rate, review, and share with your friends. That definitely helps grow our audience and get these stories out. Hi, this is Ivan, and welcome to another episode of Archives and Futures, a podcast for future generations. And today, I have somebody who is an artist and um, an educator, uh, an experimental gallerist, um, a performer, and does a bunch of other things. I'm going to let him introduce himself. So, Stevie? My name is Stevie Cisneros Hanley. I was born in Sacramento, California. And I'm also really grateful to be here. I'm a really huge fan of Ivan and his work oh, and thanks, have been Stevie. for a long time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Stevie. Welcome to the studio. Uh, we're recording again in Carol Ann's room. I decided I'm, I'm going to name that the room officially that. Uh, and you'll see in pictures why. Um, but we're going to be recording here. And I just kind of want to talk a little bit about like where you've been, um, where you're going, and sort of different things that are of interest to you. So... I think maybe we can start by how you and I kind of originally met. Um, do you remember what that was like or how we met or who put, who first put us in touch maybe? Yeah, I was living in Berlin, Germany for six years before I came here. I came here for grad school and a good friend of mine in Germany, Ali, um, put me in contact with Ivan. And then we I came here and I don't remember exactly how we first met, but I know it was through I know it was through Ali. Yeah, it was like a while before like we officially sort of like oh, we like exchanged internet. like in for yeah, we were like Facebook friends for a while, but I didn't meet you until like halfway through your time being here and then like a like sidetrack at one point for like an artist talk actually, not for just drinks. That Ivan was giving, yeah. Right, yeah. Um so that's where we officially met and then also you were very close uh friends with my studio mate. So I would run into you too with Daniel Lutke. Um because you guys were in uh, SAIC together. So maybe we can start there too. How did you End up in Berlin, and then how did that move into you moving to Chicago? Why SAIC? Why Chicago? SAIC because it was the only school I got into, and <laughs> and I got a scholarship. So uh-huh. I had never been to Chicago before. I came two weeks before classes started. Germany was just, I finished my undergrad, and I didn't know what to do. And it was, I guess, maybe a brave or maybe a stupid, desperate move, but I just went there and I had a one-way ticket and I was supposed to be there for a year and then it ended up being almost almost seven years. Did you enjoy there. being in Germany? I loved it, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was when I moved there, it was like thirteen years ago. It was very cheap. I paid like hundred and fifty euros. Oh it was like two hundred dollars for everything, like my rent and utilities. There was so many artists there, almost too many artists. <laughs> Everyone you met was an artist and you har- hardly had to work. Nice. And what did you do in undergrad? I went into undergrad studying, uh, I wanted to study psychology. Okay. And then it was not what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be more psycho, like, I thought it'd be Freud, and I thought it would be, at Berkeley, it was very much um, neuroscience or cognitive science going more in that direction. How does the eye perceive red? Um, and that wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. So then I ended up 
majoring in interdisciplinary studies field major. I made my nice, I I made my own major. It was called the self in the post-industrial landscape. So it was a mix of psychology and anthropology. And then I doubled in art. Okay. That was my next question. How did art come into the whole conversation for you? I'd always drawn since I was really little. And it, um, I had won some drawing uh, contests when I was very young. And Do you remember to, the name of the contest? I don't. I didn't even know that I was in the contest. It was, oh, okay. it was for my elementary school. And I remember I was the youngest person who had won it at the elementary school. And you got free drawing classes after. You got to go to nice. free art classes. Um, but for me, art was always like how well you could draw. It was always like a technical thing. And it wasn't until my second art class at Berkeley that I took a class with a woman named Veronica de Jesus. And I realized, oh, art, she was a mess and a weirdo and a beautiful person. And then I realized, oh, art could do all these other things. And I had left the church. I was raised very religious and had a sort of traumatic experience with sexual reorientation therapy. It was very anti-religious. And then I found that art was doing a lot of the things that I got out of out of my spiritual practice from my childhood. I could it was sort of being replaced by what I was learning about things in the art world or things in artists certain artists so um draftsmanship was sort of what you got what got you into really sort of like an art practice and then when you met this beautiful weirdo how did that sort of expand your view of it i mean i think it's really interesting that you said it kind of replaced like a spiritual practice i'm seeing or i'm sort of intuiting that that's partly kind of the place that art holds for you is that would you say that that's the case i think so yeah um and it's taken me a while to sort of like own that because uh, there's, I think, some sort of like guilt or something that I'm like, oh, I have like a, my art is interested in a spiritual practice. Uh, there's a lot of confusion because I yeah. don't have clear ideas of what that means. I I don't believe in a God necessarily, but I'm also not an atheist. I, so it's, it's a little bit of a mess and it's a, it's a pro- problem that I keep coming back to. Actually, let's back up, wait a, a little bit and go back a little bit to SAIC because you applied to the painting program. So what was that process like going from like Berlin? What was like the art situation in Berlin that you were in? How did you feel like you fit in or not? Um, and how did that change also when you got to Chicago? Because I think there's a really interesting story probably behind like the example of Berlin and how you've kind of operated in Chicago. Yeah, when I was in Berlin... Um... There, it was really not institutional. It was mm-hmm. the artwork scene was so big. There were so many artists from all over the world that you could kind of find your niche. Yeah. There was like squatters and punks, and then there was like rich people, and there was like a gay art scene. There's just so much stuff happening, um, which was different than Chicago. Chicago, especially going to this monster school, School yeah. of the Art Institute of Chicago, it was very institutional, and um, it's just much a much smaller scene here. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. At first, I did not like Chicago. If I'm honest, I hated. Mm-hmm. I hated the city for the probably the whole time I was in grad school. Yeah, it wasn't until I left grad school and I was like, there's so much more to this city than SAIC. And it was just that school, such a big school. It really depends on who you're studying with. Right. Um. And there were some people I did not like at the school, and there was other people that I really, um, that I really learned a lot from. Was that when you started sort of? Because I mean. I'm trying to basically to like get to apartment galleries and how you've kind of taken a very active role in Chicago and sort of like leaving your mark, but also like creating these spaces for people to, to have community um, and also to come around art to, uh, to sort of work through different issues. So, so how did you get involved in, in, in like experimental galleries or small apartment galleries? I, there was also Veronica de Jesus. She had said that like my, 
advice I would give to any young artist is that you should make your own shows happen. Don't sit nice. around and think that someone's going to discover you in your art studio. And especially coming from like a very poor family, I was the first in my family to graduate even high school, let alone to go to college. I, I've always just sort of thought, you know, I have to do things for myself and right. life is going to be labor and I'm okay with that. So I was just like, I'm just going to make my shows myself. And I was also really into this idea of different spaces outside of the gallery. Mm -hmm. I was a little annoyed at gallery spaces, partially because I was a sort of, in a way, a conservative artist in terms of medium. I was a painter right. and drawler mostly. And I remember all these people talking about post-studio art and how that was so radical. But I was like, it's not radical because they're still ultimately showing in galleries. And right. what, why don't we think about post-gallery art? Um, so I was showing in bathrooms uh, where there was like cruising, gay cruising happening. Nice. I showed in a church. I went to a church um, and the the minister was amazing. And she's like, the church is going to be actually torn down. So do whatever you want. And I was like, these spaces are so much interesting. Like this glory hole bathroom or this church that's about to be demolished is so much more interesting than some stupid white cube gallery. What do you think is a difference in how you understand or appreciate art in those spaces versus the gallery? Because I think this idea of like the post-gallery art is really interesting, but I think maybe we can go into that a little bit more. Um, there's sort of a conceptual sort of uh, idea behind the spaces that you're showing, and there's there's a thread through there that maybe yeah. we can get into. Well, I think that the gallery space is supposed to be a neutral space. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, it's totally not a neutral space. And but because there's still this fantasy, this fiction that persists that it is a neutral space, there's a lot of like not very critical thought um, around those spaces. Um, it's just sort of the default. It's the, and then because of that, people aren't thinking about them, but there, yeah. there's, we could talk about class. We could talk about race. Um, we could talk about all sorts of things. Um, How do you approach that? Is that based on kind of like what's available or like with the spaces that are sort of uh, offered to you? Um... Do you go looking for specific spaces for a show? What comes first and, and do you, uh, when you're uh, curating the show? I guess I should say that I um, I run an apartment gallery now. Mm -hmm. I live in an apartment gallery. It's called. It was formerly called the Condo Association. It was a sort of non-name alias. And it is a, a new development in Humboldt Park. Mm -hmm. um, and the rent, it's a rent-reduced apartment. So... I also felt strange about having the space and there's a lot of weird politics to the space. So the developers got a huge tax break mm. for um, offering two units in the, in the building to low income people. Right. Um, so I was one of the, the people who got the space and they also didn't want to do a lot of paperwork. So this actually could be a space that more people lived in. It's two bedrooms, three bathrooms on a two, it's two stories. Um, but they only are allowing one person to live there because they don't want to do the paperwork for two people. Oh, wow. But they're like, you can have whoever you want to live there. They're like, just don't tell us about it. Um, so for a while, I was just living there by myself. And then there were six other people that had keys to the apartment. And we were it was a, a collective. And the second room was like empty. It was originally just going to be that room. And then the gallery very quickly, we would use every space. The bathrooms would have artwork in them, the kitchen, downstairs. Um, so I've been curating, that's been going on for about a little more than two years, um, curating shows there. We've changed our name to Siblings now. And uh, the last show that I curated outside of that space was called God Bottom. Yeah. And that, that show first happened um, at, our, at my apartment gallery. And I was thinking a lot about the architecture of, of cruising, of, yeah. of queer cruising. Um, and like, how do you make a space that people will have sex in? 
right. what are just being really practical, like what makes someone feel safe uh, that they could have sex. Um, so there's a lot of just partitions, a lot of like hanging paper walls, these Japanese folded paper walls that were hanging around a sort of labyrinth, um, exhibition spaces if you're an exhibitionist, um, and then like some sort of private spaces and multiple spaces. Um, that show was really interesting. There was a ton of artists involved in it. And then we got asked by Inferno in New York to take this show to New York to an underground uh, sex club that had been there since the 80s. Um, and that was a challenge because I was like, okay, before we were mimicking the sort of sex space and now we're actually bringing art to a real, right. so an actual sex club that's been around for a really long time. Um, shout and, out to Inferno, by the way. Yeah, shout out to Inferno, uh, to Adam Baran, who invited us. So that was interesting. We learned a, a ton. Um, a bunch of artwork was destroyed at the, so we had uh, open like a real art opening uh -huh. kind of thing. And then we had the Inferno party, which is this kind of crazy sex party. Right. And then during the sex party, like, I did not, I under, under underestimated the power of um, the destructive nature of like sex, uh -huh. like people's like <laughs> to just destroy shit, like right. things that were hung like and away from the like action in the hallway, right. people were like throwing their bodies against the hall, like oh, this wow. weird yeah, hallway yeah. to try to, they were like purposely just trying to destroy everything by fucking it, like fucking on top of it. That sounds like a pretty good resolution though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a fun time. It was a fun time. Like Tom Selinski had work who's here in Chicago and, all of his works were destroyed mm -hmm. and bless his soul that he was like really sweet about it. Um, Brenda Quinn had work and her work was completely destroyed. What other differences did you see in the two sort of openings between Chicago and in New York? Cause I think those are different art audiences too. Um, yeah, that's a good, it's a good question. And I like, I'm probably very biased and it's hard for me in some ways to like answer that. Um, a lot of my friends were in the show in Chicago New York, there's a lot of people I didn't know, especially at the sex party. Mm -hmm. And and that sex, I guess it also gets into some sort of issues of audiences in the gay world, the gay. Yeah. Like, so like that party was like mostly gay cis men, mostly white also. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of see this kind of segregation happening in, in a lot of places, but also in, in the gay community. Um, so this was... And Adam's done a lot. Inferno's been doing a lot to sort of like break that or change right. that. Um, they do a lot of things to sort of, they're trying to counter that. But you can only do so much because Adam's also white and he's like very conscious of it. Um, but that space was also, I think the show was probably not as white in Chicago and it was a little bit more white and in um, Inferno. And I don't know, yeah. Well, that opens up another avenue of sort of exploration, this idea of like sex and art or sexuality and art and how that colors um, the experience and then mm -hmm. the making, I think, too. I mean, when I was in SAIC, I worked with or sort of like my art mom was Barbara de Genevieve. So like we talked about sex a lot. Actually, one of the classes that I ended up teaching was about that was about like sexuality and contemporary art and um, and censorship. So what kind of experiences did you not anticipate in the project? Was there, um, was there pushback from anybody? Um, were these artists that you already knew were working with those themes? Yeah, I guess there's like might be a tendency that the, the it's all a joke sort of. Right. You have this show called God Bottom and it's Lucy about this idea of bottoming and the, the psychology, the things that are projected onto the 
construction of this bottom identity. Right. And we're very much was trying to bottom that out and show uh-huh. that this sort of, first of all, like this sort of fuck you to binaries, but also this sort of fuck you to this feminine stigmata that like bottoms are more effeminate. And that, so therefore they're somehow weaker or they're something that you fuck. Um, so sort of un- wanting to just unpack that, like what is, what's up with that? Like, um, and like taking a really like prolonged, like, a really long look at 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 this idea of, of bottoming of this construction of, of the bottom identity and we tried to like open it up to outside of just um gay men so there was yeah. a lot of trans artists in there there was also some straight artists um so there was that there i think people like they don't know how to deal with sex so like oftentimes the first reaction is this sort of like laughter this right. sort of like humor and nothing against humor there's definitely also a lot of humor involved and yeah, that's something I guess like in Berlin, there was a sort of comfort in this in the city of Berlin and like maybe German culture that um, people are more comfortable with sex. Yeah. Yeah, because that's an interesting also like difference between Chicago and Berlin, even though Chicago is one of the like American cities where there's still um, public sex happening and spaces for public sex to happen or sex in public maybe is a better way to put it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's still... Uh, the the host city for international mr leather and there's a bunch of different fetish competitions that are happening in chicago but it's definitely separated from like sort of the everyday in a way that in berlin there's more of a it's a looser line definitely in 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 that conception and i wonder how that affects the art audience too especially for that kind of work yeah i think it definitely does affect the art audience and i was surprised that chicago i it took me a couple of years and i was like oh i didn't realize that jackhammer was here and there was yeah. clubs with like dark rooms in them but i think it's an american thing in general like you can have really gratuitous violence in right. the afternoon or your morning with your morning coffee but if you show um someone with breasts um or like uh, like nipples then that's just completely not allowed it's completely like people freak out and in Germany, you'll be there on the trains and there'll be like breast on the newspaper. Someone mm-hmm. might be looking at a newspaper and it'll just have like breast on it while you're going to work and nobody cares. Their children would see it. They're like, it's not a big deal. People have breast. Um, but violence is a little bit more. There's more rules against it. And we just live in a culture where like you can show any violence and that's fine, but you can't show somebody's nipples. And it's just such this weird like Protestant um I don't know this this Puritan anti-sex, yeah. um, and it, it, it's really fucking annoying. And I think there's a lot of ignorance around it. And yeah, it's it's I mean it's really patriarchal too. I mean there's a you know um, there's a fear of the feminine, and I mean it's what you mentioned also about like a fear of like a bottom identity or like an insertive uh, positionality just in general. There's definitely a lot of that, and I think Chicago. I don't know. How did that feel? What kind of conversations did you have around that when you were in the sh- or when God Bottom was happening? I think in some ways people found it actually refreshing. Like there was a lot of positive feedback from yeah. it in Chicago. And we had always positioned ourselves as like, we are never going to try to be a gallery, like a commercial right. gallery. Like even the fact that we changed our name, we were playing with the idea of changing our name every year uh-huh. to just like, like, we don't give a fuck. We're not trying to like have this brand identity that you can remember. You forget about us. We don't care. We're just a space. There's a lots of other spaces. Um, and because of that, also we have the power to take a lot of risk yeah. that other galleries can't like I, it's I already live there. The rent's cheap. Um, we're not really having like a big financial 
Um, we're not having a, we're not losing a lot of money. We have like a donation bar, so people want to donate. So we basically just break even. So we're not really losing anything. So we can have a show that um, maybe has sex in it. Actually, people actually having sex. Like you're probably a commercial gallery is probably not going to do that. Right. Um, and we can take a lot of other risks. So if I think people also they found it refreshing, if anything, even if they thought it was a gimmick or if they thought it was humorous or not or not serious um i think in a way they also just found it refreshing how did sex creep into the um maybe creep isn't the great greatest word but how did sex make its way into like your art practice um i've also been doing sex works for i started doing sex work in germany Mm -hmm. i moved there and i um i couldn't find a job Uh it's very cheap but there's also not a lot of there was also not a lot of work there Um, and it sort of just happened accidentally and I continued to do it. And, um, that's something I, I have always been interested too in like this idea of the sacred and the profane Mm -hmm. growing up religious. It's kind of boring, but it's something I can't get over. And I also think it's something that's, um, um, that's important. So sometimes the simple things are the things that are important. We keep going back to them and this idea of, um, being a whore, is a profane thing. It's a, it's a really negative thing. It's um, a thing that could um, really hurt one's status. Um, you insult someone by calling them a whore. And I was thinking about that recently because uh, an ex of mine had told me that one reason they wanted to break up was because I was doing sex work and it was more about, because I had this over and over, like ex, people would not want to date me because I was doing sex work. And it's never actually about them being jealous. It's always about them themselves and their own like status or their right. identity yeah, yeah, yeah. of like them dating a sex worker, this infiltration, this like degrading infiltration to their status. That like, what does it mean that I'm dating a sex worker? Um, so I don't know, I've been trying to, and I've always been fascinated in that because I feel like in this pornification of late capitalism, everyone is basically a whore. Right. Like when I was bartending after grad school, I felt like I was being whored out more than actually being a whore. Uh, I had more control of it. I can actually say what I wanted to do. I was making more money. Um, there was no middleman. And I, I just sometimes get tired of this sort of in, like in between. I'm like, just say what you actually mean. Right. Like just go to the, go to the logical conclusion. So it's like, I'm like, there's all already basically this weird sex work happening. So I wanted to go all the way I'm just like just go there let's have the purest form of that and like think about that um, how did that affect your art I mean I think thematically there's some things to it definitely like in your naming of like pieces and, and the sort of the imagery that you put into it um, I just went to a show of yours ghost sex at M. LeBlanc gallery um, I mean it's there in the title the poster is also really 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 good um, but that sexuality is also in your work I mean your Instagram pervert kitchen uh, God bottom. There's like a lot of references to sexuality in your work, and I'm wondering. I'm thinking that's probably not something that was there, and when you won the elementary school drawing contest. <laughs> so did that? Did that creep into it in Berlin? Because I think that's also something really interesting with with uh, artists of like a Latinx background that grow up, especially in religious situations. Yeah, that it's sort of impossible for a lot of us to sort of avoid that sexual aspect to our work. Yeah. Or at least of, of in like our processing, there is that dichotomy of like the virgin and the whore, uh, and the the sacred and the profane. Yes, uh, that's kind of impossible to get around for a lot of us. So I'm wondering when that started showing up in your work more clearly. I think it's definitely in Berlin. I was doing, I done, I was interested in 
gender. I mm-hmm. like questioned my gender when I was younger, and I'd done a series of me as like the Virgin Mary, like pregnant. Um, I'd done a lot. I was really obsessed with being pregnant, and mm-hmm. really sad that I could never become pregnant. And yeah, I guess the sexuality started to come out. I guess I actually remember now that I was in Berlin, and um, I was like, I feel like I'm a sexual person. I like sex. I have sex. Um, I have sex for money. I have sex for pleasure. I have sex out of boredom. It seems like it's a pretty much a daily activity. Um, sex with myself. Um, but my work for the longest time had almost no sex. Mm-hmm. It was very sexless. And I was like, why is that? Yeah. Why does the work? And I, I think like there was some sort of um, fear or there's some sort of boundary of, of, of that. So I was confused by that and sort of trying to figure that out. So I think, and even that being said, I don't think like if you look at my work, like I don't have, there's usually not like nudes or people mm-hmm. having sex in my work. Um, it's a lot more abstracted yeah. um, than that. Like I have a piece in the show called, in Ghost Sex called P&P Birthday Gangbang. And it's of a Motel 6, the parking lot in the middle of the night. It's four panels. And it's a sort of heterotope like heterotopia it's not a dystopia it's not a utopia it's kind of both there's a sort of right. demonic things and some sort of transcendent things happening and there's actually no sex anywhere in the piece um it's this sort of may, maybe like um altered state maybe it's brought in by some sort of drug use um but then it just goes into this sort of weird abstraction and that piece was like that piece felt like I, I felt I thought about that title and the title is taken from a porn that I was looking at um, mm-hmm. that I was jerking off to and I was like that title is just insane like PNP birthday gangbang because it's like the most hedonistic <laughs> it's a lot thing. of words yeah it's a lot of words it's like the most like hedonistic like thing you could imagine this sort of like it's a reality for many people but also this sort of like like fiction even right. if somebody um, did suffer with with meth abuse like this idea of like a birthday gangbang like a a PNP birthday gangbang, this sort of like ultimate experience of pleasure. Um, and then realizing that maybe well, it's also not so like, pleasurable. Yeah. Going back to like what you said about Freud, it's also like the kind of activity that really gets into like the death drive. Yes. I think that like gay yeah. men, you know, especially ones that are still like battling with like interior uh, internalized shame or a lot of a uh, sort of uh, addiction situations that come from, from that there's, it's very evident that, you know, Freudian sort of death drive in, 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 in some of our sex practices sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm really happy you brought that up um, because that work, it reminds me there's the sort of star of PNP birthday gangbang is a series of railings. So there's the railings of the hotel, the two floors of the hotel, and then the railings around a pool. And the pieces are sort of like swampy. It's like the railings and then the mm-hmm. swamp, the sort of like black swamp. And there's a pool and then there's even like a hole within the pool, like this sort of other void or sinkhole inside of the pool. And it's sort of the railings at the edge of this sort of, weird swamp this death drive swamp and how does that work come about because a lot of there's a there's a real kind of like i'm going to use a grad school word word but like a ludic sort of dream state quality in like your compositions and 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 the the way that you represent figures and how they relate to each other it's like some pieces are very sort of clearly representational and then they sort of like melt into some like more primordial situation and how does those, how do those things come about for you? What's your practice like when creating that? I try to go to the work in a lot of different mind states. I try to go early in the morning sometimes, like high on coffee uh-huh. and like really 
trying to be as like sober and present and like full of energy. I try to work with no music and other times with like lots of music. I go to the studio sometimes and I feel like it's important to get stoned. Yeah. Um, and then work just like very like stoned. Um, I, I'm a very superstitious person. So I have a lot of rituals that I've developed over a lifetime. So if things drop on the floor, depending on what's dropped on the floor, if it's pointing in a certain direction, I'll, I, I, I do those things. Mm -hmm. Even if I am in the middle of something else, I'll go and I'll go into this other work. Um, yeah, my practice has always, it, it's been that way for a while. And it, and a lot of people say, say that it's like a, it's a good description of there are these sort of moments of like something more hyper rendered and then these really loose sort of like unrendered messes or the sort of swampy and they, they somehow find the, some sort of harmony together. Yeah. Do you work on multiple pieces at once? Or? I do. Yes. Okay. So I always work on multiple pieces at once. Probably I have, I don't know, like maybe 20 unfinished works right now in my studio. Oh, wow. Sometimes I put them away for a year or two and then I'll take them out. Other times they're up on the wall. I cannibalize a lot of old work too. Nice. Um, do you work in series or bodies of work or is it sort of like a constant flow? It's hard for me to do series. I okay. try. Um, I have a show up at the University Club of Chicago and mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a series. What's the name of that show? Uh, that's called Parallel Inversion. Okay, great. And it's a series of inverted stained glass windows. Nice. Um, and usually I, sisters I do a lot. I'll do one piece and I'll do like a sister and sometimes there'll be like a triplet. Mm -hmm. But I usually don't do a lot of series. Um, it's hard for me to do that. I try to do it, but I've just like accepted that. So my practice does switch changes quite a lot. I'm interested in the, also you mentioned this like kind of collaboration with like spirits that happens in your work where like if something falls or if something like points you in like a specific direction, you sort of follow those directions. Um, I lost my train of thought there. What was I going to ask you about that? That's a real, I mean, I think that's a, a, a really interesting thing. And again, a really sort of like, I can say more about that. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. I think that's really interesting. This idea of like collaborating with, with chance or with a, yeah. a different realm. Yeah. I do think it's important to collaborate with chance, like artists that use chance techniques, like Frida Kahlo, like the ink blots. And there's a lot of artists that do a lot of chance, um, techniques. Um, there's a piece called Parallel Inversion um, that's actually in the Ghost Sex show. And it is a piece that basically happened one night. And I do feel like I was possessed by this sort of demon. And I like made this this image that I had seen. Um, I work from dreams too. I, I write down the, the dreams that I have. And sometimes they seem, um, they seem purer than the thoughts that I have. And I feel a little uncomfortable talking about this because somehow it seems less serious, and I don't think it is. I mean, not um, to me. I mean, you're talking. Yeah, yeah you're talking to the right <laughs> person about this. Like, yeah, keep talking about the spirits, girl. <laughs> yeah, I do don't know. Do you call them forth, or do they just sort of like happen? Because I think it's interesting how you come at different points, and like the pieces are sort of these like almost like records mm -hmm. of like the experience of, or of like a performance of making. How do you feel about what is the, what is? For example, when I create a piece, sometimes it feels like I'm giving shape to somebody that something that should have existed already and i'm just sort of like bringing it forth yeah. so for me also those pieces have kind of like a life of their own and they're these sort of like separate entities uh they also have like a lifespan in my head and they're sort of like their own characters out in the world um what is the sort of like the lifespan of your work or like your relationship to the work is it a thing is it a, is it just a, the creation of it or is it are you interested in the object I'd like to th look into that because I think you have a really interesting practice in the way that you do it. I don't think I'm really that interested in the, in the 
objects that much because mm-hmm. I have never been a person. I've always been fine with like getting rid of my work, selling it, giving it away, or like destroying it, cannibalizing it. Um, I get, when I was younger, I was very afraid of spirits. Mm-hmm. I had experience when I was really young, maybe six years old. I was laying in bed. I woke up and there was some sort of thing on top of me mm-hmm. and it had no face. It was like a void and it was as if I was going to fall into its face. Yeah. But this creature was holding me down with its, its, its hands were on my shoulders and its weight was pressing down on me. And if it wasn't for its weight pressing down on me, I would have fallen into its, that void. this void. And I, as a child, I was like horrified of these spirits and I would notice certain things and I would try everything. I would pray. I would rebuke them in the name of Jesus Christ and it took a very long time. Um, uh, I kind of, it's almost embarrassing to admit how long it took me um, to sort of get over that. And at one point, I realized that I had to stop being afraid of the spirits um, and then face them. And then there was some sort of like, I would say, like when I was a child, I would say the Holy Ghost. I felt this sort of feeling of the Holy Ghost. Um, so I've just started to not be afraid of spirits. If I see something that um, would creep me out, and rather than sort of trying to push it away i would i would stop and be like what is this um i don't want to judge it i i just want to like know what it is and i also started to feed spirits mm-hmm. i studied it with someone named um Catherine sherwood and she said that people need to feed spirits there was a lot of things happening um some sort of violent things and then someone had said you need to feed the spirits so i think it's important to feed spirits and you feed the spirits in different ways Sometimes with actual just food. Um, I, usually every place I have has a shrine. My bedroom yeah. has a shrine. My studio has a shrine. And things things change. Things things come and they go. There's a shrine here. Yeah, there's a shrine here. And I also burned incense before you got here. Because, yeah. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> and I've been really interested in, in, in having sex with ghosts recently. Okay. And this idea. Because there's a lot of old like Wiccan practices. I don't practice Wiccan. But a lot of them are just basically people having sex with spirits. Right. Um, and I thought this was interesting. Um, I feel like a lot of the spirits that I seem to connect with are spirits that other people would say are demons or that other people would say are bad spirits. And I found that they're not evil spirits. The spirits I have that I interact with are not evil spirits. Um, they're spirits that maybe are not human or maybe not coming from a a human history. Um, maybe they're more animalistic. Um, but I've noticed that they are like, um, they just need love to sound kind of really right, corny yeah. that there are spirits that just need love and then they respond in kind when they find that love. There's also something really interesting going back to the idea of bottoming and the idea of like possession and sort of giving space yes. to something coming <laughs> inside of you and, and being expressed and sort of bringing you either like pleasure or fulfillment or, 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 or sort of shepherding you somewhere. Yeah. That's really interesting. There was this essay that I, I read that I, that has always sort of stayed in my mind that also tied um, in Haitian traditions in Vodun, especially the sort of when the spirits mount you, it paralleled that to, uh, for example, in like drag balls or even in drag, the sort of the spirit coming into you and possessing you and taking over. And, and, and then suddenly you're this other person performing this other sort of experience for people where you're creating these environments and these feelings and then that's also sort of really similar to obviously demonic possession when you're not sort of open to it but um you know it's the same thing with like calling forth a god or using some sort of substance to get to like an altered space and i think that's so interesting to um to do that to allow yourself to be sort of like mounted by gods uh, one of like my favorite uh, also um essays about about uh, magical practices um by comic book writer Grant Morrison, 
and it's called pot magic and one of the things that he mentions is how a really and he comes from a um a um a chaos magic tradition which basically like you make your own rules depending on what works in your sort of like conceptual consensual relationship with like other spirits or reality or whatever and one of the things that he talks about is that pop culture offers us so many different kind of ghosts or spirits to be mounted and 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 possessed by when we sort of need to call them forth and in his head you know in the tradition that he's coming from chaos magic is so much about like your relationship with the world and your positionality towards reality so in his conception it's it's almost a a moot point whether it's like a demon or a ghost or an ancestor or whatever the point is you're allowing yourself to be changed by this like thought form or this idea or this like process or this like feeling and pop culture is a really easy way to sort of get at that so you know one of the people that like i call forth all the time is like grace jones like she helps me out a lot you know in sort of like stressful situations you know like britney spears can be great in some situations not all of them but uh i think also that like diva worship there's something about those relationships that we have with these identities or these sort of mind creations and culture yeah. that, that's really kind of fascinating yeah i love that and i i think i i especially like the point of not judging it or if it's a mute point if it's evil or good i think that most things are on the spectrum and you, you just sort of like being critical something comes to you and rather than sort of trying to make a, a judgment really quickly which then simplifies things you are just open to what is this what's what's happening because human beings change every day like right also ghosts spirits are in constant flux as well and it's such a freeing thing to do also in the studio to just sort of allow for that openness yeah of like it's not necessarily me that's creating it's just the work is being created um how do you deal with like when you feel kind of blank in the studio i have exercises that i'm like maybe because i am a little my my practice is it is a little bit more traditional in terms of painting and drawing, but I, I do do a lot of sculptural. It's not, I'm mm. not just, a, I wouldn't say I'm a painter, um, but when I'm stuck in the studio, I try to do things like I can do a color study. Like my color's not as good recently. and like, I'm losing my ability to color match. Why don't I, why don't I try to do some color matching or why don't I try to do a collage? Writing is important. I really feel like um, just journaling, like bad journaling really helps a lot. Um, sitting there and just sort of I give myself permission not to do anything to yeah. I try to make it a, a habit yeah. of just going just showing up and I'm like if I don't do shit that's fine but at least if I like go there um, I get into the habit of it and if I go there then like it will hit me eventually yeah um, so I'm I'm a fan of like just going to the studio because I had two big shows recently like I haven't done a lot of work in the studio recently but I've been trying to get back in the practice of going and like the last couple of days in the studio I have just been pretty much just laying around like masturbating a lot like taking naps but i think that's important to sort of get back into that habit yeah i mean there's that's a super important part i mean even another one of sort of like my heroes especially with with uh sort of being free as an artist uh, um Cy Twombly you know there's so many references in his work and the, the writing in them about like yeah sex masturbation yeah not doing anything like yeah. uh rote exercises to kind of kickstart things and that's actually an interesting kind of comparison in some of the washes or that sort of like that feeling of like the work is an experience of the creation of it um that i sort of see in your work as well that's sort of really fascinating um 
what do you want people to get from your work or what is what is the sort of uh the message that you're trying to to get at what do you want people to get from your work i don't know if i i don't really think about like people getting a specific thing i want Mm -hmm. them i want to offer an experience i want to invite them into a specific room um and in that room things that would normally be seen as evil or seen as I want people to think about about them differently and I want people to have more empathy. I want people to slow down. Yeah. Um, a lot of my work, uh, there's a lot of sequential viewing. So you'd see it and you make a quick judgment. You think it's something and you realize that there's, there's a lot more. My work definitely awards a slow view. If you look at it longer, like a, you see a lot of things, a lot of things start to come out and things that you thought were one thing are might be another thing. And that's important to me because growing up, um, being really ashamed or feeling really like um dehumanized yeah i i think it's important for people to sort of question their assumptions and question their judgments and i say that too because i i judge myself pretty harshly and i i probably judge a lot of other people too and it's something that i want to rein in and to stop but it's a hard thing to do because we live in a go 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 fast crazy competitive world we have to make these judgments and we're constantly judging people um, and a lot of that's out of fear. Right. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I, I, I that's a, that's a really hard question. Like, what do you want people to get out of the work? Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I want people to go in. They have this experience that almost even feels sexual and feels like transcendent. It's a lot. And we are all hoping for a lot. Like ultimately someone would have some sort of like transcendent experience and, they see things flipped on their head, everyday materials like taken out of out of their everyday use and then like be inspired like, oh, I never thought that you could do something like that. Um, I guess empowered. I don't know. Yeah. You do use some very strange or not traditional art making materials in your work. How did you start doing that? And, and what's been your experience with that? I basically throw everything at my work in the studio. and Most of the things don't stick. And if it sticks... Um, I'll keep it and I'm really like literally sticks. literally <laughs> or just like conceptually sticks yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. like um, I I'm a huge fan of Rauschenberg uh-huh. um, and there's something about the charge of the real thing um, sometimes you paint a thing like a trompe thing and that has a different charge there's the there's a lot of reasons why someone values that and other times you put the actual thing in there and it's like no I'm, here's the fucking thing the actual thing I'm not going to paint it I'm just going to put it right here uh, I do use a lot of collage photographs and I, there's a lot of random things that come into my work. Um, animal fats, um, maybe Oreo cookies, uh, things from the trash, things from the streets, children's books, um, uh, a drawing from my 11 year old nephew that he gave me isn't one of the works. There's a lot of things that, that go into the pieces. Um, and I think it's a lot of the, the reasons that the first, these artists in the first place who started to do these things like Rauschenberg is, I'm interested in this sort of like breaking down this idea of art and everyday life that um, that the two things would merge. Um, I'm interested in value. Um, yeah, things that are considered trash. They also, it sounds kind of like all boring in a way because so many artists are interested in these, like this thing that's trash is maybe actually not trash. And this thing that is really valuable is maybe we're maybe we're like not putting our values in the right place to value those things. Who are artists? Who are artists that um, 
kind of mentored you in your process that you feel had a real effect on you? Obviously, there was your undergrad professor. I forgot her name. What was her name again? Veronica de Jesus. Veronica de Jesus. Um, was somebody that really kind of touched you uh, and sort of changed the way that yes. your practice went in your life. What other mentors or um, kind of role models do you do you see in your life? Uh, Catherine Sherwood. She's um, I studied with her a lot, and she uh, she had a stroke while she was teaching uh, a brain hemorrhage, and half of her body became paralyzed, and she started to paint very differently after that. She had to change her entire practice and. Somebody who has a really strong um, spiritual belief. Um, Sonny Taylor is an artist I work for. Uh, another dis disabil um, disabled artist who's also a disability activist. Uh, the disability rights movement is huge in Berkeley, so I um, was influenced and ins inspired by it. I worked with a lot of um, disabled artists in, in Berkeley. And... Yeah, more recently um, in grad school, there was Ishiko or Michiko Atatani. She's amazing. She's great. Also, like a like like a witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was in my final crit, and it was like one of the best experiences. I love her. Um, yeah, Michiko was I think our our last meeting together. Uh, she was my advisor. She was basically just like, "You're a woman. Like you just need to like, <laughs> just, like do this thing. Like you just need to transition." <laughs> she was like, um, uh, Frank Piatek, okay. also a witch. Um, Judith Geichman, also another witch. <laughs> There's so many witches. Um, yeah, Kiki Smith. When I was younger, um, another witch. Another witch. Yeah. Wangechi Mutu. Um, I know the works are pretty witchy too. And yeah, who are other who are other people that sort of guided me or helped a lot of people? There's a, really a lot of people. Um, I'm sort of blanking right now about like Berlin artist. Um, yeah, there was a lot of painters in, in Berlin. I was really into Mia Rausch there. I don't know. I mm. liked his like. That makes sense. I, yeah, I can see that. Now another thing that's really interesting about your sort of extended life practice is also everything that you do with teaching kids. You work with a lot of kids. Yes. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm infantilizing people here because it's also undergrads and first year students and uh, and high school um, students and high school students. What is that experience like for you? I love teaching. It feels like almost like not work to me. I mean, it is work, but it feels like one of those jobs where like this doesn't feel like a job sometimes. And yeah, it's been a little bit of a, like a difficult thing. Sometimes it was a difficult before for me to sort of come to terms with the fact that I could do sex work and I could also teach children. I've, um, I had stopped doing sex work for a while and I tried not to do it. Um, no, I'm not actually doing it so much anymore cause I've just been too busy. Uh, but I was like, no, I, I am a strong enough person or a powerful enough person to compartmentalize. I know my boundaries. I know like these things, I am expansive enough to hold both of these things. I know that this is, there's a space and time for that and there's space and a time for this. And a lot of my colleagues too, um, they deal with like really heavy subjects of, of, rape of um sexuality and they're not necessarily things that you're going to share with young children um but they're a part of your art practice and yeah even your old friend who moved away is a perfect example daniel no not daniel oh ali not ali kate is it kate i'm blanking on her name kate hample yes kate hample yes Kate Hample was great, yeah. Kate uh, Hample's working with, like, children, really young yeah. children, but then her work is dealing with 
some really heavy sexual matters in her artwork. Yeah, true. Um, what do you enjoy more, the younger kids or the sort of the high school students do, or college kids? Uh, I work with the College Arts Access Program, CAP. Okay. So it's a program where they take 10 to 15 students a year from uh, Chicago Public Schools, CPS schools, um, from high-needs neighborhoods. And the, the students get everything paid for. And it's a really competitive program for the kids to get into this program. So they're like my favorite students. Um, there's a lot of like black and brown students and um, a lot of queer students. They're mm -hmm. like nerdy art kids. So the, right. ner the nerdy art kids that would go to like the fucking like art school on their weekend. Uh -huh. um, so they're great. I like really love working with them. And I like, I like the freshmen. I work in the freshman program as well. And they're hungry to learn. They want to learn. They have a lot of energy. It's it's great. I want to talk maybe about like literature uh, or also theory, not necessarily because it's a necessary thing, but because it's like at least for me, it's a very sort of like productive thing in the studio. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite writers um, or thinkers? Favorite writers, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, he's one of my favorite writers, and I just like he has a vulgarity too that I really yeah. like, and um, really creative with writing with structure um so he's great i i am a big fan of his um elliot weinberger is interesting also like a weird writer gregor runga is a, a german writer uh jeremy malleus is an art historian and daniel spaulding um also people i'm interested in joni mitchell or not joni mitchell joni um spiegler uh, somebody I'm interested in. Yeah, thinkers, thinkers. Um, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say Foucault. Why? I don't know. It's just like too much Foucault, and I like read a lot of Foucault when I was in my undergrad, and it's uh -huh. been a while, but it came back recently. Hardcore. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I I'm I'm a huge Foucault person. I mean, yeah, yeah I think he's he's amazing, and also like talking about like sexuality and art too, and sort of like. A sexual practice as part of like your life project and the creation of an identity and yeah i think Foucault's amazing so trent leipert he wrote oh, an yeah essay. why are you why, why are you why are you embarrassed by Foucault? i don't know i just feel like there's so many people <laughs> talking about Foucault. yeah a lot, a lot less now than like maybe 10 years ago but yeah it shouldn't be but like i mean there's probably a lot of reason why so many people were making artwork yeah um, i mean i know a lot of people that have gotten into fisting because of Foucault, for example <laughs> yeah yeah, he had this, this essay about heterotopias. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about that a lot and like queer spaces and this them as heterotopias. And what 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 is that? What have you come up with? I'm still trying to get my head around it, but it's and I've been seeing it in a bunch of different artists too. this sort of queer heterotopia that a lot of artists are interested in. A lot of queer artists are interested in space and yeah. making space and this idea that space could do more than it's doing or that it actually is doing more especially with the closing of so many queer spaces yeah. of men's country and the Bijou theater and people sort of going and basically stealing or taking every bit of these spaces and trying to preserve them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'm really interested in that of these sort of spaces that have multiple portals. There's like moments of like hell, moments of heaven, like moments of the past to the future. Um, even this project here, the Ar archives in the future, like these sort of like heterotopic, spaces are super interesting i'm still trying to get my head around it and i'm trying to like 
think of i almost see like this art movement in chicago happening of these of yeah like access points or portals um how do you feel about the internet oh the internet (laughs) (laughs) uh i feel overwhelmed by the internet i feel like uh i sometimes really hate it and i feel probably addicted to it um i'm on instagram too much i'm I look at porn too much. It probably is like poisoning my my brain and my psyche. Um, I connect with people I love too much, mediate it through the internet. I learn about the world and the news, the weather, like what the phase the moon is, so many things, like what time it is, like all through this device that I hold. It's this sort of strange portal. And I think oftentimes I'm not fully present in the moment that i'm in because i'm someone was telling me about they were reading about projecting like teleporting Mm -hmm. and how um, people like partially teleport their consciousness when they're looking at the internet so you basically have all these public space spaces yeah uh, when you're taking the 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 train into the city in the morning and like everyone is like kind of there but kind of not there like they're zombies these sort of like internet zombies um and they're not really all the way present also oftentimes on the internet too right yeah yeah, it's the sort of like diffuse attention at all points. Yes. Or at all times. And Stevie, one, um, I want to wrap this up and I just want to ask you one last question. Um, you mentioned it a little bit when we were talking about advice, but I want to ask you, what was some advice that you wish you would you had uh, gotten when you were much younger? Let me rephrase that question. What's some advice that you wish you would have gotten when you were much younger from yourself? I think I would have just told myself not to care so much about what people think it's a, it's very simple but um i think when i was younger i was very much a people pleaser i was very obsessed with trying to please people and to be a good student be a good and there's a lot of reasons for that um and in a way maybe i had to go through that i had to like learn that the the, the hard way the long way and it, i had to experience that i don't know like i guess like ultimately realizing that i don't know that like people care care about it's always about the other people. So it's like, even though no matter what you're doing to sort of please them, it's, it's, it's probably going to be more about them. So don't think so much about, don't put so much energy into just trying to sort of win somebody else's approval. You don't need to win their approval. That's good advice. And uh, what do you have going on next and where can people find you? Um, I have two shows up right now. Um, one uh, in LeBlanc and that's closing this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, closing Saturday, August 3rd. Uh, there'll be a musical performance. And then I have a show, Parallel Inversion, at the University Club of Chicago, and that's going to close. That is going to close on August 12th. And I'll be doing some stuff with, with um, M. LeBlanc Gallery. Um, and I don't know if I have anything planned besides that. Yeah. That's, that's website, that's, social media? Uh Instagram Pervert Kitchen, website steviehanley.com. All right, Stevie, thank you so much for coming. Uh, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, and that's our interview with Stevie. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go follow him on Instagram, pervert underscore kitchen. This podcast was recorded, edited, and produced by Ivan Lozano in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you, Propeller Fund theme music by La Spacer aka Natalie Murillo you can find her at laspacer.com and that's L-A-S-P-A-C-E-R you can also find her on Mixcloud, Soundcloud and Instagram at Laspacer L-A-S-P-A-C-E-R thank you for listening, until next time